Hello and welcome to this special conversations episode of Media Voices. I'm Esther Thorpe. Publishing is way behind other industries when it comes to technology consolidation. Compared with five or six key software platforms in most sectors, it's not uncommon to see publishers running their businesses on 50 or 60 separate setups. There are clear advantages in leaving this tech soup behind and migrating to a unified technology platform. For this special conversations episode, we're joined by Marcus Carlson, CEO of Afino, the unified business platform for media, publishing and membership organisations, and Steve Hines, digital editor and product manager at leading travel news industry site TTG Media. We discuss the benefits of systems consolidation, from improved operational efficiency to increased profitability, as well as exploring some of the challenges publishers face when looking to consolidate and how they can get the process started. So Marcus, I want to start with you. How has this situation come about where so many publishers have got so many different systems and technologies? Is this a natural, inevitable problem with being in a company or is it something publishers specifically have got worse at over the past decade? I I think they just never got better at it. I wouldn't say anybody's got worse, but it's really inherent in the way the whole media sector operates. You know, the the simplest way it happens is that media companies buy brands. And each time they buy a brand, that that brand might have five or 10 platforms that they're using. So if you end up buying five or six companies, each with a number of brands, all of a sudden you have got 50 or 60 different um, technologies that you're using. And and then that requires time, effort, investment, people to sort out. So so inevitably, you know, uh, yeah, the big challenge is is just evolving from that, uh, you know, multi-stack tech soup, like you called it at the beginning, and um, and taking it into something that's actually much more effective for the organisation. There's lots of other things that that come into it. Um, you know, the, the one of the biggest challenge being that you need really good technical people to do this and um and they're really expensive <laughs> to have so so just that you know and, and if you have your really good technical people do you want them to be spending all their time just you know working on tech and not moving forward the business in in other ways so yeah there, there are loads of reasons why this has come about yeah i mean steve i'm really interested to see what what the situation was with you at ttg and what prompted i suppose the discussions about needing to consolidate so um, from my perspective, I guess at the time that we were really looking at it, GDPR was coming in, which was obviously a big one. And we were we were processing a lot of data um, across lots of different systems, which just it was an enormous duplication of effort. Um, and when you're a small team, like I'm a, I'm a team of one, so I was across all of the different various digital systems we were using there was a lot of plates to keep spinning and it made sense to try to reduce that. Plus it's really, it's expensive, time consuming. Um, it's just, I, I was just keen to just simplify, simplify, simplify as much as possible. Yeah. Did you start out thinking that you wanted to try and sort of cut down the number of things that you were using or did you, did you know you wanted to go for a single solution straight off the bat? Well, I, by the time I joined TTG, they were already signed out with the Fino. We were using lots, uh, we were paying for for other systems that did what I knew Afino already did. And it just made sense to me, especially if, if you're looking for something like the single customer view, where everything that a viewer or reader, whatever, engages with your brand, you, it would be nice to have that all in one place. And all of the, the various engagements communicating with each other without having to worry about APIs or connections between the different systems. 
it just made so much sense to try to get that all in a fino running so that meant cutting down on the external systems we were using and bringing it all into this one unified system um, you mentioned um, the GDPR when when you started that. Um, and Marcus, I know we've discussed um, regulatory issues around an extended tech stack before. Can you give a brief overview of some of the issues there? Because I think a lot of publishers assume that GDPR compliance is something that they've solved now. That's an interesting one, right? Because I don't think really anyone thinks they've really solved it. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I think they most companies are operating on the basis that you know people haven't really been fined yet and you know if others haven't been fined then you know maybe it's a while until they're fined I know that's that's kind of a little bit you know stating it as a big statement but it also just that's what it feels like to an extent and you know we uh, I'll give you an example we worked with with one media uh, group and they they have I think they have somewhere between 50 and 60 well I know they have between 50 and 60 platforms and um and Afino is the only platform they use which has a GDPR-compliant user API. So that's the only API that could send across user information and the permissions for the users and the preferences for the users and timestamps and everything. Um, and a lot of this comes down to, to the fact that a lot of the, the companies are American tech companies. And for them, you know, sending through permissions and preferences along with all the user data, it's just not such a big deal. You know, um, and we had quite a few conversations with, with companies about this, um, you know, some of the, the biggest brands you can imagine to to try and work with their APIs. And, and they were like, well, it's going to be a two year legal process before we even give this to the, the tech people to start developing. So and that's not long ago that we've had conversations like that. So they just have different priorities. But if you have two platforms and you can't, you don't have an API which shares preferences and permissions, how can you be GDPR compliant? And if you have two platforms and they're not properly integrated, how can you be GDPR compliant? Um, and if you've got 20 and somebody says, please remove my record, are you going to go into all those 20? Do you have a process to go into the 20 different platforms to delete those users? Because that, that would be GDPR compliancy. And, you know, and the, the biggest kind of um, thing that we're seeing as a result of this is that, um, you know, people like Apple are coming in and, and saying, well, actually, we do care about privacy. And they may have lots of other reasons to care about privacy um, beyond the, you know, GDPR compliance. But when the platforms come and start doing that, then, then the fact that, you know, you've got 30 platforms integrating through JavaScript on a browser um, as a mean of, means of, of connecting um, to the audience, that starts to fall down super quickly. And, and that makes it even more difficult for things to be compliant. Um, you know, and that means essentially that if people then seek to be compliant across all those records because they're not connected, they end up deleting way more records than they should be deleting. And, and I sat down with a customer that is, is looking and they, they work really quite hard. A lot of our customers do work really quite hard to be GDPR compliant, partly because they can, because they've been able to consolidate so much on, on a on a you know much smaller tech stack, and um, and they're deleting thousands of records um, every every month. They delete thousands or maybe tens of thousands of records, and they delete them because they can't keep them fresh because they don't know that somebody hit their website last week on the events platform because it's not connected to it. So they delete the contacts from the events. They don't know that somebody maybe attended a webinar uh, two months ago 
because that's not connected to the events platform <laughs> in the same way. So then they delete those people from the events, you know, etc. So the more different silos you have, the less data you have, the less you're allowed to keep um, legally and ethically. And uh, yeah, so so it, it is it is just a massive problem. But I don't think I don't think most organisations, um, you know, are fully GDPR compliant. And the way that you know, and, and and that means that people really lean very heavily on legitimate interests. Do you think that's sort of willful, not ignorance, but sort of willfully overlooking perhaps some of the more uncomfortable truths around that? Or is it just a case that, you know, the, the legislation at the moment feels a little bit toothless? There's not really been any high profile cases of certainly anybody in our industry really being fined over it? Mm. So I think I think the legislation, you know, what the law is, is actually quite explicit. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, and but I do think the the thing is that people aren't getting fined, um, you know, yet. and <laughs> yet, yeah. And as, as Steve says, yet, you know, um, and that's in, to know, you know, to a large extent, there have been distractions. Right. So for the regulators, there's been distractions, you know, the obvious ones being Brexit and COVID. Um, but you know, those feel like they're kind of going to be less distracting in the future, maybe. Um, but no, it's the the truth is that people aren't being punished for breaking GDPR. Um, they aren't, you know, actively, but they are um, indirectly, and they certainly will be um, indirectly punished because if your data is not compliant, then your valuation as a media business can often, um, you know, disastrously decline so if you're a business owner and you're looking to sell the business and your data isn't gdpr compliant then that's something that investors will look at and and they will offer you a greatly reduced price for your business as a result um you know increasingly we have conversations with people saying hey we just got kicked off mailchimp <laughs> mailchimp um you know if people report to mailchimp that you're spamming them and, and you're not in compliance then sooner or later you are likely to be cut off from them and increasingly it's the it's that vendor risk you know so afino as a vendor if one of our clients um gets sued under gdpr and gets fined under gdpr um, and we are shown to have facilitated that then we're potentially liable for 20 percent of the fine so Ooh. you know yeah, so so as a tech provider, you really have to start protecting yourself, um, you know, and your broader community's interests. If if one of our clients had a huge fine, that would really affect our ability to invest in in the platform, etc. So so there are lots of factors outside of people just getting a fine, which will come into play, um, I think, over time. And you know, and irrespective, the the, the huge challenge of of being compliant is is just a big issue. I'd like to think that publishers, by and large, the advent of GDPR coming in, everybody did, did their training and got their systems up to scratch, but actually the behaviour didn't really change a great deal. <laughs> That's a really good summary of it. Um, so, you know, when the fines do start coming in, uh, it would just be a question of brushing up on, on what you already know and just tightening the bolts. So for you, what was the actual process of consolidating your setup? I mean, setups like you had at TCG. Yeah, so um, I guess to begin with, you have to do some gap analysis. Um, you know, work out what what things that have been set up that were specialised in the various vendors you're using, 
um, might need to be set up in Afino because obviously it, because it's a unified platform that serves lots of different clients. Uh, then you might need to ask for some feature requests and a little bit of development, which then benefits the whole community using that system. Um, at that point, then it's just working with the project management team. Um, and there's a lot of downloading and uploading from one system to another and, and with a fine tooth comb, making sure that, you know, you've, you've crossed the T's and dotted the I's and whatnot. But yeah, the, the decision having been made, it was a relatively straightforward process. Um, but then, you know, when, when it's up and running, it's just keeping a good eye on it for any snagging. How how long would you say that process took? I, I know they'd already decided on the platform, but was that how how long was that sort of end to end in terms of switching things off, getting everything, everybody up to speed with with the new platforms? Oh, the deci- I think the decision the decision to actually transfer from one to another was the much longer process. Um, a lot of umming and ahhing, and well, this is going to be difficult, isn't it? And uh, but when you actually get down to it, the the the, the transfer was pretty straightforward, probably a, a matter of weeks. Okay. Um, but then you know it depends on the size of the team. Um, because in my case, it was all me doing it. It was just trying to do it, fit it in between my other tasks. By far the much easier process, the, the consolidation part, the decision-making was, was and, and the change of, um, the change of, I guess, workplace workflows, culture, those are the, those are the much harder things to, to affect. You know, if we think specifically back on TTG, the, you know, they, I think the simplest transition was actually a content piece, the, the mm. whole publishing side. That was really easy because it was just a straightforward and move forward in, in lots of ways. One of the most emotive changes was the ad, <laughs> the ad campaigns, the banner, the digital, the migration, um, you know, from print to digital, um, you know, and joining, joining those um, sales methodologies together. Um, and really evolving the way that TTG um, sold its, its ad products. That was a big, big change. What, you know, one of the key things with the transition, it doesn't all have to happen at the same time, Esther. It can happen when the team is comfortable and when the, you know, when the stars align. So the, the, um, the subs, which happened during the pandemic, and that, that, was, that was just a decision to go ahead with it, wasn't it, Steve? Um, the digital subs, yeah. Yeah, and a difficult time to launch it, and especially in the travel industry, which was one that was quite, and, and still is, really under the cosh with, with uh, travel restrictions and spending caps and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we went ahead and, and did it at that time, and I'm glad we did. Hopefully, as, as the market picks up, as it, as it kind of is now, fingers crossed that the, the cost of living crisis doesn't put the kibosh on it for a little longer, but um, having launched at a really difficult time, we're well placed for when there's a little bit more expendable income in the area. Yeah, that's a really interesting point about the subscriptions. We will come back to that. Um, are there any other examples you've got of how having a unified platform actually helps on a sort of practical day-to-day basis when it comes to publishing systems? Well, one is, is, is this thing, it's worth kind of talking a little bit about the challenge that Steve's having with getting people that are really used to working on a, on a you know, one way and migrating them across to a new way of, of um, managing their subscriptions and renewing. So we, Steve raised this with, a, with me last week <laughs> that, you know, this was a challenge that he was finding a challenge with people actually coming in and logging in when they maybe never had to do that before. So we, we ran an experiment. We've got a thing called conversion events. Um, and what we, 
Steve's kind of done a t- test on is that you can send out an email in Afino. Afino knows who the person is getting the email. They can then just land on a page. Um, and if they click that link on the email, which says, yeah, keep me in or renew me for the next year, then they go to the page and Afino knows that they've given a go ahead and they're on a list. So, it's, you know, so instead of people having to log in, they can just go along, click a link in an email and uh, and all that list is in Afino already. So to send that out, Steve just has to craft a message, select all the people that have yet to, to you know, reconfirm their subscription for a particular time frame. And that could also actually all be set up automatically. So we've got a, a thing called a, a auto renewal campaign. So when people get to the end of their subscription time frame, it automatically starts to engage with them through emails or creates a task for a customer service rep to call them. Um, or or you can even um, you know generate printed messages that you generate in a PDF and you can then send them out. Um, but all that stuff's available to him already. So he's got this huge toolkit that he can go to and, and um, you know, and immediately solve the big question, which is, do people have to log in? No, they don't have to log in. They can just click on his page. And what we're exploring with him is that, so we use this thing called conversion events. And conversion events are very nice little um, features in Afino. So if somebody does this, send them a message, put them in his list, give them store credits, <laughs> make them a member, you know, put them in his group, give them a free subscription for a certain amount of time. And that's the bit that we need to now nail down in this thing, which is, um, you know, and I've, I've taken to the Afino team to go, okay, if somebody comes along, they're reaching the end of their closed circulation subscription, can I just click a link and that extends it? You know, and what do we need to do that? And we've, we've identified all that we need to do is to add the ability to give them a new closed circulation subscription when they then they click on a link. Um, mm. And that that's a huge benefit. The benefit that Steve talked about in the middle of the pandemic they, they made a no investment decision to launch subscriptions. They didn't have to buy a subscription platform. <laughs> they didn't have to re-platform anything like that. They, they just read the guides and, and launched it on Afino. And, um, and there's a lot to it. And subscriptions has a huge amount to it. Um, you know, you've got the subscription marketing side where you have to be able to promote it, where you create the landing pages. Um, you have all the e-commerce side for, for people to actually come and, and buy something. You have to hook it up to the paywall and the engagement wall, so it naturally hands people over. Um, you need to set on only onboarding campaign and onboarding automation. You need the fulfillment. Um, now you imagine doing that the traditional way. That's at least three different platforms, or going to a bureau and a bureau using three different platforms to to do the same job on top of your stack. Um, and then you have to you have all the overheads of trying to manage that. Um, I mean, Steve's done that as a as a bit of a side gig, <laughs> right? To mm-hmm. to his day job. So you know, so the 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 risk and the investment and the ease is is just completely different from if you had to do it the the normal way that everybody else has to do it. Was that a driving factor behind then being able to launch subscriptions? Like, if if that hadn't been set up, is that something that the team might have thought twice about if you had to draw those different things together? I, I think that conversation would be not dead in the water, but you would be looking at a massive outlay of investment, and yeah. at, at, at that's at that point in the in the pandemic, there was no way that was going to happen. So that would have been parked for another another era. But yeah, that was all that was all there for us. We were all effectively we were already paying for it. So I mean, that's 
the same with a lot of the modules in Afino, we might as well use them. And like I said, if, if all of the different parts are working together and speaking to each other, it just it's not even worth thinking about. You might as well set it up. You yeah. deliver some some great insights to your team. It makes the whole setup a lot more powerful. I'm liking this sort of more more positive approach. I'm, apart from remaining within legal compliance, what are some of the benefits of consolidating systems like this? So, so one of the things that um, you know is is a is a personal issue for me, which is that if an organization is using fifty different platforms, you know, what is the energy um, footprint of using fifty different platforms that could be done by one platform? You know, what's the energy cost of have, storing fifty different customer records? across 50 different platforms um you know when uh, a lot of the work that we did in the early days with Afino was with um, a company called Rovio that did Angry Birds and we had to deliver a solution for them to 500 million monthly users so that that in itself was a was a big project and it had to work extremely efficiently across Asia Europe and and the U.S. And a huge factor for them was page speed and um, and loading up a page on a mobile phone when it's coming from 20 different plugins or 30 different plugins takes a huge amount of processing power. Um, you know, instead of loading up one font, you're downloading 20 fonts. Instead of sending through one CSS to, to run the page, you've got 20, 30 different bits of CSS going for each one of the, the elements that you're doing. Instead of capturing the interaction once because you know that that person's hit the page, you've got 20 different platforms trying to capture, did somebody hit that page? What is the environmental footprint of, of using 40, 50 platforms to, to deliver for your organization? It's vast. You know, and where does that get factored in by anybody on these things? Um, and for that, that's a huge deal. And we, we invest really heavily in Afino in efficiency. Um, you know, it's, it's every day we look to optimize what we do so that we use less computer resources, which means that we use less energy. Um, and that, I think, should definitely be on that checklist. Is this thing ultimately going to increase our footprint? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, and I know for TTG, the, the environmental impact of what they do is, is a real factor in their decision making. And, uh, and I, I think it should be much more of a factor um, you know, when somebody's got 30 plugins on a page to think, OK, what is the environmental footprint to to make that work? Um, yeah, so that that I think is definitely should be part of any conversations along this. Um, the other thing which is quite interesting is that because so many of our clients are, are kind of losing all their traditional analytics data, um, you know, and, and we, we were at the PPA festival last week and I sat down with, with a media company there and they're down 70%, right? So their ad delivery, web-based ad delivery and their audience size in their analytics tool and in their ad delivery platform says that they're down 70%. Now we know that's not the case. <laughs> we know they've probably got a similar audience to what they had a couple of years ago. They haven't just lost 70% of their audience. But that's the impact of, of working in an environment where things are dependent on those kind of plugins. So we are coming to the end of an era. We are absolutely coming to the end of an era. And people need to really understand that fact. They need to understand that their brands aren't tanking digitally 
because their analytics say they're tanking digitally. They're tanking digitally because the platforms they're using and the choices they made around that and the sea change in that environment that's happening right now. They need to be aware of this. <laughs> it's real, um, you know? And and by, by understanding that, they can go, okay, so if we aren't losing our audience, what should we be doing about this? And I know some of that. I mean, we just had these headlines about Facebook and tech platforms. So Facebook now has decided to cut off news providers, right? So the reality is um, media companies are... They, they're used to a hostile tech environment. They are used to this kind of thing. Okay, well, we'll milk it as long as we can until the environment goes hostile. But actually, for the fundamentals about how you manage your content, you engage with the audience, you message your audience, that is not something that is or should be a hostile environment. I think possibly just just to add on to that um, environmental bit, though, when you talk about 50 records, the duplication doesn't feel like that much. But when, when you suddenly sort of scale it up, I suppose, to an audience size, that, that feels like quite a lot. A green credential something that you find audiences increasingly demanding from you? I think it's probably more like the other way around. We're trying to press the idea that this is important on our audience. Okay. Um, I don't know how it is in other in other sectors in certainly in ours because we are we're trying to make the we're trying to pull the industry out by its bootstraps so we're trying to make just incrementally make it more sustainable make it more environmentally friendly we're in the process now of um auditing our own carbon footprint so you know everything that marcus is saying about your digital footprint the the amount of uh, um, the amount of energy that you're using if you're processing data in many different systems, this is all really pertinent stuff for us. So, yeah, absolutely, we're all on board with that. Um, I think there's another angle on, on a lot of this that I know a lot of publishers are worried that if you if you go super compliant and you're really careful with your data and you're deleting all of those records and, and things like that, that you can actually end up really affecting your revenue and your profitability. Is, is that the case if you're actually doing it properly or are there, are there sort of more revenue opportunities if you are using just sort of one platform with that whole view there's a there's a serious conversation that you have to have with your commercial partners they, mm. they, they need to understand the proposition is not so much it's not a quantity proposition anymore it's a quality you, you're not you're not just hitting a bunch of random people that you can't name anymore it, it needs to be it needs to be opted in it needs to be um users that you have good compliance with and they know what they're getting and you know what you're delivering to them. But yeah, your commercial partners need to understand that that's the deal now. And that's, that's good because that means that they're getting a much higher, a higher quality lead. Have you found that they're quite responsive to that or? Some are. <laughs> it depends on your, I mean, in our vertical, um, a lot of our clients would like to just hit as many people as possible the same way they have in, in, in the past. But things are changing, and I think they're, they're starting to get to understand that the, the, there is intelligence that, that can be used to make smarter decisions. And so we're, we're, we're having that conversation and pushing it. I mean, our whole ethos at TTG is to promote a smarter, better, fairer travel industry. And a whole part of that smarter part is just not doing the same old things that we did before and using the data that we have the information the technology and to 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 just make smarter decisions 
look, if you get it right, so we, we, we're in this situation now where some of our clients, because they run Google Analytics, for example, alongside Afino, and they're getting only 10% of the data from Google Analytics as they used to get just two years ago. <laughs> and, you know, the two main trends affecting that, one is if, you're, if you are GDPR compliant, you don't stick the Google cookies on everybody until they agree to it. And, you know, and, and, uh, and even then when people agree to it, Apple blocks it. And I think for, for a lot of brands in the UK, half the email messages get open on iPhones. And then people, if they do click through, they, they're clicking through to Safari um, on their iPhone or, you know, uh, normally a, a kind of secure um, blocked way where, again, people don't get the, the Google Analytics. They don't get the, the insight. So just the, the basics of... Um, you know, the way the whole ecosystem is built to date, which is that you integrate stuff through the browser, we call it the flash economy. It's like you wouldn't go out today and, and you know, build your tech stack on flash, would you? But Google have come out and they, you know, explicitly said that, that Q1 next year, they're also going to kill off third-party cookies. So Apple's killed it off, Firefox has killed it off. You have this thing where the, everything kind of has to shift to server-to-server, communication if you want to know the audience if you want to have reliable data on the audience and and you know the only way you can do that so you've got this thing you know zero party data and first party data zero party data is brilliant because that's people coming to your event and signing up for an event that's people coming to your website and signing up for your website and giving you their details giving you permission for you to market to them and telling you what they're interested in but if you don't have reliable first-party data, which is the data that you get around their behavior, you know, what do they read, what events do they attend, you know, and what, what links do they click on, what PDFs do they download, et cetera. If you can't get that data reliably, then those records pretty quickly become useless, right? Has the person left the company? Are they still interacting with the brand? Have they changed their interests? You know, have they changed their job? These are, these are really fundamental things for you to know that there is any value in the data. And then if you're G, being GDPR compliant, if somebody hasn't interacted with you on each one of those isolated tech platforms and you're not able to keep the records current, you have to delete it all anyway, right? So there is no benefit in having it all siloed off, you know, because you're not getting the, the permission to keep the data longer. You're not getting the the insight or, or the basis for keeping those records. So then you have to delete them. And even if you then want to go, okay, well, I'm going to kind of not, you know, I'm going to use legitimate interest for a lot of that stuff. The data becomes really stale. You can't target people effectively. Your conversion rates become terrible <laughs> because mm-hmm. your pool of half a million people is actually 20,000 people that actually are engaging with you and 480,000 that you may be picked up over the last 10 years or 50 or 100 in some cases. So it's, um, yeah, the, the benefits are vast and, and it is a journey that everybody really should be going down. See, I'm really interested to hear that perspective because um, you've got a, a print magazine and I think a lot of the perception of print is that, you know, a lot of print systems are very old school, very legacy and you're sort of almost trying to haul it into the modern age. Um, how did you, I, I suppose from both sides, how was it trying to bring the print along with the rest of the transformation? Well, the print, we've only just migrated in the last couple of months. So that was another very recent, um, we ditched cert data 
um, who w weren't really operating in the space anymore anyway. So we've migrated all of our subscribers, our print physical subscribers from there to our digital platform. And actually now we've got a challenge on our hands where somebody may never have signed up on, on the digital, on our, on our website and are not aware that that is the way that we manage our print now. And so it's, it's, it's re, um, re-engaging these, these users who have never done it that way before. So yeah, we're, we're deep, we're in the process now where there are a lot of these records that we need to get on top of and make sure that they're aware that this is where we manage it. It's much more flexible in terms of what, how you can manage your, your subscription because it was quite an old fashioned system in Cirque Data where you just fill in a form, you wouldn't have to log in. Now you have to log in on our site, which we're kind of encouraging because obviously it enables um, a much more f flexible system. But yeah, there is that challenge there for us to get people using the website where they hadn't before. But it, once that's all up and running, it'll be much, much, a much better way of managing it than it was before. And I suppose that'd be a much better view of your print subscribers. You can see where they engage with the rest of the ecosystem, right? Yeah, exactly. And because it, it, it's all tied together, you can see when they've opened a message, you can, you can set up marketing automation for if they hit certain pages um various actions on the site all topic based um market to users based on their interests it's it's all much more commonsensical um so something for both of you i suppose what obstacles might publishers other publishers face when they're going about this and how can they overcome them um i'm thinking especially things like sort of you know staff buy in um onboarding things like that the first thing is it's the management team is crucial in making the decision and empowering the decision and funding it and, and staffing it because change requires investment. It's as simple as that. Um, and the bigger the, the media organization, the more change management, the more investment um, is required to make this happen. Um, you know, so, so having that, that management backing is absolutely fundamental. Frequently, it also requires restaffing or, or changing the staff organization around a little bit uh, to make it happen. And, and I suppose probably the most important thing for, for media companies is to have, you know, as an output of this exercise is to have a product manager that can look after uh, the digital side. And I think it's important to have the definition of a product manager so that they um, don't get siloed off into digital as a, in terms of digital execution. Um, and it's important to have project manager because this is, uh, you know, a really, um, you know, powerful process that you have to go through, but it requires tight project management to make sure it's, it's pushed forward. But the outcomes are, are universally beneficial uh, when you go through this. I mean, we don't know any organization that doesn't go through um, a process of consolidating tech, making you know smoothing the customer journeys, having a real focus on you know the the joined up nature of the commercial side, the marketing side, and the content and, and event delivery. The the you know every organisation we work with benefits hugely from that. And in small business like ours, it's much much simpler. We're much more keen to try things and see if they work out. As the sort of, I guess the sort of try and fail fast <laughs> ethos, but um, yeah, bigger companies that I've worked at before, 
going up and down the chain of command and umming and ahhing about whether you should try something. That's it's a much less effective way of working. But yeah, the staff buy-in is the big thing. People are so resistant to change. I've seen trying to change an editor's CMS and the riots that happen after that. Well, even just a, a little thing like when we, we upgraded the the WYSIWYG editor in the CMS in Afino a couple of years ago, and just something like the, the font, the, the sub-editors <laughs> were like, can we change the font? I can't read it. Really? This is something as simple as that. But, you know, a couple of weeks later, everything was fine. It's just a matter of being agile, being prepared to try something new and then getting on board. Yeah. And I suppose the last thing I wanted to ask both of you is once publishers have, and I say, quote, achieved systems consolidation, because I know it's a it's an ongoing process often. Do you have any advice to stop tech add on and that sort of creep happening again? I I think one thing that's just really useful, and Steve can, you know, talk much more about it as well, is that everybody gets excited over shiny bling, you know. (laughs) So, you know, the chairman being shown this amazing cool thing on their phone or the CEO having another CEO talk to them about this cool thing that they're doing. Um, It happens every day, you know, and that's, that's the reality around tech. But the thing to think about is, is if somebody is showing you something that is is extremely good at something, what what are the sacrifices they've made to just focus on that one thing? And and especially with new vendors, it's pretty much everything else, right? So they will show you the stuff that is really good, and they won't show you all of the huge stuff below that that you know just doesn't do the job and isn't good. And ultimately, it's integrated with everything. Is it already mm-hmm. part of, of the operation you, you have? Uh, and the simplest advice is, you know, look to the vendors you already have. Um, do the vendors you already have, can they already do this in a way which is integrated with mm-hmm. what you're doing already, which your team is going to find quite easy to learn because they're already familiar with it. So, you know, in terms of the big picture about the, the consolidation, and the other the thing is that... Um, the cost of integration is often far higher than the cost of buying into the shiny thing. You know, mm. how do you make that work with your organization? How do you make it GDPR compliant? Um, and there's always a two-way cost. There's the integration from the new shiny thing. And, and typically, they won't necessarily have all the APIs in place and, and all of, you know, the support. They don't have the teams to, to necessarily make that happen instantly. And also, then you have to integrate that into everything else you do. <laughs> Right. So mm. the more stuff you have, the more you have to integrate. It's it's actually quite easy. So setting up gatekeepers, um, you know, and we're often just really basic checklists of, OK, here's the bling thing. Now, how are we going to fit it in? Where's the API integration budget coming from? Does this tick off on a GDPR? Um, can this already be done by one of our existing vendors? And and the budgets do need to go, they need to go through the product team, um, you know, so that things can't just be signed off. So what one of the things we see a lot, and and we see it's a lot in media, is that, um, you know, and, and it's not a bad thing. It's, you know, one of the brilliant things about the media space is it's very opportunistic, right? You see an opportunity and you go for it and, and then you're using the next thing and you've got an event and it needs to happen and you buy into another technology. But what do you do with that technology then? You know, is that just for the event? Is that something that you, you embed with? 
Um, were you able to, okay, you captured audience data, but does that fit with any of the questions you've been asking for the last 10 years? Is that data at all usable outside that one event? Um, and 99% of the time, that kind of answers the question of, should this bling be part of our tech mix? Sometimes the answer is yes, and, and normally it's probably not. Yeah, yeah I, I usually take the, I'm usually the voice of doubt, but it's kind of when, when these conversations come out, like, should we build an app for that? Um, <laughs> it sounds nice. Sounds like a fun thing to do, but what are the practicalities of that? Are you just adding complexity for the sake of complexity? But at the same time, the thing that's difficult there is you don't want you want to have this blue sky possibility of, you know, you want you want to have everything on the table. You want you want to be totally open to any possibilities. You don't want to be down on everything immediately. Um, but just, you know, I'm, I try to be, take the pragmatic approach. If if I think it's going to be more expensive to set up and maintain than it's going to be worth it. That's the first thing in my mind. So. Um, you know, I don't try to get in, in the way of the ideation process, but I try to lay out the, the practicalities at the, at the point of conception. Thanks so much to Marcus and Stephen for joining me. There's a lot to take away from that conversation. Thank you, Afino, for sponsoring this episode. They are the leading unified business platform for publishers, and they provide a complete solution for engaging with and monetizing audiences. You can find out more about them at afino.com or drop them an email on engage at afino.com. Join us again on Monday when we'll be back with a new episode looking at the week's media news and a deep dive with another guest. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>